Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige. Today, we're going to be talking about the horror thriller Misery that was unleashed on an unsuspecting audience back in November 30th, 1990. That's right. 30 years of misery have we endured on this planet. Uh, Of course, this was directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, based on a screenplay by William Goldman. Uh, They're teaming back up after Princess Bride and many, many other uh, fruitful endeavors. And also based on a novel, Misery, by Stephen King. Uh, Stars James Caan, Kathy Bates. This is kind of her debut role. Uh, And Lord McCall uh, taking a role again as uh, uh, James Caan's literary agent. Because Mm -hmm. this is essentially... Stephen King, the worst fear. Jim, okay. okay. What's your yeah. what's your relationship with Misery, and uh, what'd you think of it this time around? Uh, I've definitely seen it before. I just don't remember how many times, um, and it surprised me because I thought I remembered more of this movie than I did. Uh, and I really the the only scene that stuck out in my head is that hobbling scene. Uh, right, which I, I think is like the film defining scene. It, it's what everybody remembers. Uh, but I love it. I think it holds up just as well. It's just as terrifying. Kathy Bates is just as amazing now as she was in 1990. Uh, yeah, I, I was still thoroughly impressed with this movie going back to it 30 years later. How about you? I ha- have never seen this movie before. What? And of course, I've ever, I know, I but I knew about the hobbling scene. That's something okay. that, like, you know, it gets out in pop culture and it's like, man, is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? Um, and I really liked it. I thought, like, the tension really holds up. I think some of the filmmaking looks kind of creaky or basic. And I wonder if that's because they were doing, like, Rob Reiner is intentionally imitating, like, a 1970s kind of aesthetic to make it feel like it's a little bit of a throwback or to make it feel like a little bit of a period piece. But also the 90s are right on that. They're like a threshold, you know, decade like the 70s were, where it's, like, not, you're not entirely 80s or not entirely 60s, and it's kind of a mishmash. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. But, um, it, but but yeah, the, the performances between James Caan... And uh, uh, Kathy Bates is is really good. She Kathy Bates plays just this psychotic character, um, just pitch perfect. Like the way she veers between this saccharine niceness and then this, this white hot rage and sadism. Um, yeah, I thought it, it's also fun that you know we're covering Fargo. Uh, there is this uh, you know. Nurse Mayflower, who has the exact same backstory as as Kathy Bates and Misery, it's interesting to kind of see how these things line up. I thought that that stuff was a, was a lot of fun. Um, it's a tough watch. Like, there's a lot of things where it's like, you know, James Caan's legs get fucked up so bad. This movie, oh first God. in the car accident, and like to where I thought it's like this guy's gonna lose his feet. Look at those feet. What's wrong with it's, his feet, man? Hmm. It's funny that you say that. Uh, apparently, in the book. The hobbling scene is different. Uh, she yes. actually takes an axe to his foot, cuts it entirely off, and then cauterizes it with a blowtorch. So, yeah. Jim, I mean, spoilers. Spoilers on this 30-year-old movie. I can't believe oh we're just going, to, just going to throw that out there. But, yeah, no. Um, yeah. If, if you, like me, you avoided seeing this movie. I, I can't imagine there's a person on Earth that cares about movies at all that doesn't know. Right. In in, in this movie, James Conn gets his ankles broke. Yeah. But, uh yeah, Kathy Bates crosses him up on the basketball court, and mm-hmm. he had no. <laughs> yeah, it's he a brutal no game. Ankle broken, just like yeah. it's like, and you know, she just just trash talks relentlessly. Never really recovers. It's pretty crazy how what it does to his confidence. Um, one little bit of historical fiction or little historical note is. Mighty finding memory of this film, not having seen it as a kid, because I was what I'd be about. um, I guess I'd be about 12 or 13 when this movie came out, maybe 14 is everyone said my mom looked like Kathy Bates, like throughout this entire area of Kathy uh, era of Kathy Bates career up through fried green tomatoes and Titanic. Everyone said how much Kathy Bates looked like my mom. And like I never saw it, but like watching this movie, I kind of did. And it really gave that movie an extra bit of like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is fucked kind of kick. Um, I don't remember exactly what your mom looked like back then. 
but could, sure blanked it from your mouth. yeah sure i get it <laughs> sure yeah the the too traumatic i can't remember it <laughs> uh working with a therapist on that no uh but but i don't remember ever thinking that so that's a little surprising to me so um do you want uh, i guess we should we should we should we um, kind of lay out the movie? If you haven't seen this movie, should we lay out what it's about and then kind of get into a detailed discussion of it? Yeah, sure. Um, Misery is about a fiction writer who has this um, uh, tradition where he checks into a, a, a same rustic cabin in the mountains to finish his manuscript. And he always orders a bottle of a uh, very expensive champagne vintage. And he smokes one single cigarette with a particular uh, strike anywhere match. And he has this whole celebration thing. And uh, he has just recently published a book. Cause I guess he's had a whole series of books around the central romance figure misery. It's, it's, it's like a, a bodice ripper, you know, I think uh, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like a middle-aged soap opera, you know, erotica novel. Harlequin. Mm. A Harlequin romance. Um, and he's sick of it. He wants to write, quote-unquote, real novels. So he kills off misery. Well, um, he's having his, his celebration of writing his first real novel. Um, it A blizzard hits. He's driving home from the cabin retreat. He spins off the road, and he's rescued by Kathy Bates, who says, I'm sorry, I'm a nurse. I can take care of you, but the roads are closed. The phones are out. And you just you're just you're stuck with me taking care of you, mm-hmm. and that turns out to be a nice little horrific setting for a novel to be completely at this person this this crazy this your number one fan yeah you know uh to be completely at their mercy for X amount of time it's 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 terrifying uh, and it really works on a psychological level. Um, where do you want to talk? About, what do you, where do you want to start? Um, I feel like I don't have a ton to say about this movie that isn't spoilery. I will say it was a success. Um, I think we can move into if you, oh, you want to, yeah, let's talk about that because like, I don't really know about like the movie's success or anything like that. I'd be interested. Um, so it's made by Castle Rock, which you probably recognize if you're a Stephen King fan, uh, especially in the modern era where that show exists. Uh, the Castle Rock is a Stephen King thing. Uh, it's kind of like a, small town in Maine where he sets a lot of his stories or is mentioned a lot in his books. Uh, and apparently Rob Reiner founded this studio with some other people and called the castle rock as an homage to him, which I thought was interesting. Um, and this film, when it came out, had a $20 million budget and it made 61 million in the box office. So pretty successful, I'd say tripled uh, your money. Sure. For a small studio like castle rock. Although in the nineties, I'm not sure how small they were. They were bought a few times. Um, but then, yeah, you talked about how Kathy Bates, um, was sort of an unknown at this time, although she had been working in and around Hollywood and like in TV shows and stuff just as Mm. one-off characters for like 20 years. Like she started in 1970 as her first, uh, screen credit, which shocked me because this is the, this is the thing. Like when you think of Kathy Bates, this is the thing that puts her on the map. map. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James Caan, obviously already on the map, like he'd been at Godfather and a whole bunch of other things um, and was a little reluctant, I guess, to take this film, although it seems like he wasn't the only one. We'll talk about that. Maybe yeah. A little, in a little bit. Uh, yeah. There's a whole list. This movie was jilted at the altar more than I've ever seen a main role jilted. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that now if you want, because um, William I, I, Golding uh, wrote uh, a book, I think, um, called like Four Screenplays with Essays or something, where he talked, mm. he had the screenplay of this movie, and he he talked in a few pages about the making of this movie and how it came together. And yeah, I've got like a list of the actors they wanted to consider for this, and that all said no. Yeah, yeah William Hurt uh-huh. turned down the project twice. Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dennis Hoffman, <laughs> Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and Warren Be- Betty. Yeah. All turn this movie down. That is like, and I, 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 we've talked about this before, like, you know, Tom Selleck turned down uh, Indiana Jones and it went to Harrison Ford. Like, like every once in a while you have these like little things about, you know, what, what, what might've been, but this is by far the longest chain of custody of people playing hot potato with a role I've ever seen. 
I guess it took uh, them like six months to even cast. Uh, th- th- you know, this is a very small cast, and it took them six months to do it because of that. I wonder why. Um, was like Stephen because like you know I'm thinking of Stephen King and popular media. Um, they haven't all been gems, but there's been a lot of like you know I feel like more hits than misses. Um, in terms of like uh, The Shining and Carrie and uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it, it's he's got a spotty track record for sure. Was this was this late '80s, early '90s, like Stephen King? Uh, you know, like uh, that's oh, this is TV movie shit. This is like it and the stand, you know, cheap, low budget. Yeah, could be. I, I know also like the violence, um, particularly a hobbling scene. I know it turned some people off. I, th- I think they were considering really? like, uh, I, I think Meryl Streep was considered for the the uh, Annie role. Um, oh, that'd have been good. And then shit, what's her name? Relentlessly like cheery Broadway star. Um Bette Midler? Yes, yes, Bette Midler ah, okay. was was considered for it. And she turned it down because, yeah, she couldn't see herself doing this dark material. Later mm. said, I think, that it was a mistake. Uh, to yeah, it would have it been down, an but... interesting. But that's the thing. Like, you got to be able to turn, like, that 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 off. Yeah. And whew, I tell you, Kathy Bates is really good. And, you know, she's been um, a fixture on American Horror Story since, like, season three. And she's had a lot of really fun, memorable uh, character roles in that anthology. I think she actually has got a pretty good knack for playing this kind of sadistic, uh, you know, saccharine character. She's really good oh, at yeah. it anyway. Passive aggressive cruelty. Uh huh. Sometimes aggressive aggressive. <laughs> sure. Uh, they, it wasn't all also just the actors that they had trouble with. They had trouble with the director too. Like, um, I think initially George Roy Hill, who directed The Sting. Uh, Butch Cassidy, sure. Um, Slapshot, if you're familiar, like there, there's, I guess, did a run with Paul Newman and stuff. Um, but he was originally slated to direct this thing, but he got to the hobbling scene and said, "I, I can't do it. I can't see myself calling action on that scene. It's too." Isn't much. that weird? Like 1990s, we'd already been through Predator. We'd already been through <laughs> like true, Mando. Yeah. We've been through. Some some crazy chainsaw Texas massacre. Like mm-hmm. this is not like 1950s. This is not Dick Van Dyke show. I'm kind of shocked to hear these directors saying that. Maybe I guess it's you know they hadn't done things like that. That's like that's like more shocky, yeah. exploitative. You know, it's not a serious film. Yeah, no. Um, and so Rob Reiner just says, you know what, we could go out and find another director, but whatever, I'll just do it myself. Uh, and so that's how we got Rob Reiner directing this. And I think he did a fine job. Like you said, it's a little mm-hmm. like workmanlike um, and utilitarian, but it worked for me. Yeah. And they do the things they need to do building the tension. Uh, yeah. They are able to do that uh, very, very well. Um, do you want to talk about like the movie and kind of like uh, just specific details? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, this is the first time I saw it. And when I see James Khan like wind up and nail a tree with a perfect snowball, I think, aha, and he says remarks to the camera, still got it. I'm like, aha, he's going to, and I just thought for sure when that sheriff came at the end, like he's going to have to like, there's going to be a baseball in the corner of the basement and he's going to have to hit uh, <laughs> a eight inch by 12 inch window mm-hmm. and shatter it as the, just as the, 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 the sheriff is getting out of earshot. No, no. James nope. Conn was just feeling real good about himself and his masculinity in this scene. He just had a bottle of Don Perignon and uh, mm-hmm. he smoked his cigarette and he's driving his Mustang way too fast down this winter mountain and he can Jeez. fucking nail a, a snowball for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the Mustang on that snowy mountain road is a terrible idea and I knew it was a terrible idea. Like you don't Rear have to have wheel much drive sense. muscle car yeah. on a one one way switchback. <laughs> just you know, you're you're a wealthy, famous uh, author. Um, maybe just stay another couple nights. Maybe yeah. uh, I'm yeah. sure that that's it's 1990. This hotel has a fax machine. Oh, you're gonna fax how many pages? Three hundred pages. How, 
this guy's worth millions of dollars, right? Yeah, even if you're paying 35 cents a page or whatever it was back in the day. Like, I I don't think it was ever that expensive. Maybe sending, receiving. It's not about the money. It's about the the time you'll never get back. God, that would take ages. I guess you just hire the the attendant to do it, and he does it for the next six weeks. This this movie would have to be a period piece nowadays. I'm trying to think if you could tell the tale of misery. I don't think you could. I mean, his cell phone breaks in in the car crash right like or if he's a guy like tom hanks who fetishizes typewriters and he can only do his man you know i I guess you could you could still knock out the and you know what's he gonna do take a picture of the manuscript one at a time with the cell phone but um yeah it's it's a lot harder to make a misery movie like even three or four years later than than it was at the time yeah i mean it's a real thing like when she forces him to burn that manuscript i'm there I'm is thinking, no God, this is his only copy of a work he spent months on, at least. That's that's a blow. That's a devastating blow. I really love the bluffing too, like you know that went on with like uh, yeah yeah go ahead and say yeah you know I I send out I've sent out twelve copies already to my proofreaders and auditors and she as his number one fan knows that's not your routine, Paul. Yep. I know that you only have the one thing because you're so fucking like he just like, ah, it is. It does feel like a very particular paranoia coming out of Stephen King, but it's well placed. Like, I'm certain I'm certain Stephen King has gotten some very creepy giving the subject matter that he writes about and the way he writes about it. I'm sure he's gotten just the worst kind of like fan mail. That like sends oh, yeah. shivers up your spine, and this has got to be the result of it, you know. Um, this yeah, is his, like worst. All every everything that you've said to like engender a relationship with your audience now used to imprison you. It's Ugh. it's pretty wild. Yeah, no, it's written from a uniquely like famous perspective, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Like you, you you don't get this kind of relationship without being. Uh, someone of some notoriety. And I mean, there are a few ways to read this movie, right? One of them is it's, it's a shot at overly enthusiastic fans who are going to be creeps. Um, it could also be a shot at editors, right? You look at Annie sitting over his shoulder, uh, sort of like second guessing every decision he's making or, or, you know, getting too in the weeds with the details. Uh, although I think her criticisms are somewhat fair. You know, you want a believable story. Uh, it could be a shot at uh, writers who spend their entire career writing a single series of books, you know, um, and sort of use that as a crutch, maybe. Um, it, there is a truth. I, I, I did read a little bit about uh, Stephen King's comments on this movie or on the book and why he wrote it. Um, I know that some of it is like Annie is supposed to reflect his cocaine addiction that he had at the time. And how oh, it just really? had this, yeah, had this hold over him that was unbreakable and was holding him, you know, hostage, a prisoner. Damn, I thought the text with him was pretty on the nose. I had no idea this is yet another uh, cocaine metaphor. Holy moly. Yeah, it's that. Um, it's also a reaction to the the fans reaction to his uh, works where he tried to branch out into something other than horror fiction. Right. Uh, where he did like the eyes of the dragon was one of his books where he tried to do epic fantasy. Um, and you could probably look at like Dark Tower stuff that came Dark Tower. probably later. And then he got wise and came up with Rick, Richard Bachman. So it's like, fuck, fuck you people. I'm That's do- the thing. So this book was supposed to be written under Richard Bachman's pseudonym, but people discovered his true identity while he was writing this and oh. said, fuck it, let's publish it as Stephen King. Wow, because this is kind of like in the King wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's I, a little I more guess grounded it's, it's, it's a little bit... And and maybe autobiographical in 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 the like terms of like the fears anyway. Yeah, yeah. So so there's a lot of that. It's it's a reaction to like the shit going on in his own life at the time, and also I think there you know this is a very writerly sort of thing. It's it's got a main character that is a writer. Uh, I feel like writers do that a lot, and it can be bad and cheesy. But I didn't feel like it was here. It it Mm. really worked. No, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, there's a couple points where I'm like. Well, why doesn't he just do this or that? And I felt like there was at every turn because it is like it is this wild kind of uh, hostage situation where there's this um, 
I, it's just like a, an interesting little duel where he tries to play psychological games with her. Like, you know, I think a, like a smart, felt like a smart person dealing with a crazy person and seeing what he could get away with and seeing how he can manipulate her and then win. Cause she's not stupid too. She's yeah, pretty percept- sure. perceptive and she's also very paranoid and distrustful. Um, you, you know, and, and, and when she, you know, does find minor disobedience. She punishes it severely and she makes this guy like that. She's, he's entirely 100% reliant on her. You know, Um, there's no way he could just like, they, they, they do a really good job to set up the plot and the story to where you really feel like a guy like James Khan is kind of helpless in the situation. And I Mm -hmm. guess that's one of the ones, things that turned all these guys away is like they mentioned, like even Warren Betty was interested in the role. It's like, but can I be less passive? Can I be more dynamic and take more of a role? But that's the whole movie. The fact that like this guy like James Kahn, who plays a lot of big strapping alpha dudes, you know, fucking Sonny Corleone, the bull, mm. uh, the, that's so physically powerful and angry and, you know, uh, action packed, uh, is essentially hobbled and, and, and kept, you know, in this bed, like by this super mother figure. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, that's the fucking horror right there, you know? Um, for sure. This medical captivity, this nurse ratchet, this involuntary committing to some mad person. Um, and Kathy Bates. I mean, chilling. My God, ah. she's just incredible in this movie. She actually won. Th- this movie was nominated for one Oscar Best Actress, and she won it that year. Uh, it t- totally warranted, I think. Like, there are a couple of standout scenes, not even just the ones where she's like, screaming in his face you know because that's pretty overt uh-huh. but the the one that got me was the lighting the lighter fluid scene where like she's you know telling him burn this book uh or and she's not saying it she's just okay burn this book and he says no nah, i'm not gonna burn the book and then she starts talking in this friendly tone but like d- d- drenching him covering his bed in lighter fluid at the same time and there's just like this implied if you don't burn this book i'm going to burn you that is he gets it we get it it's just such a perfect moment um, yeah she's her- got this thing where she slosh like I, I noticed that in the urine bottle scene where she's like kind of sloshing it oh carelessly around and like you it's 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 you're mad so the first time on that i thought well maybe she's just like really cat no she the, the, the lighter fluid makes it seem very deliberate that like yeah. She's doing these things just to make him feel uncomfortable. Be like, hey, if you don't start, you know, telling me the things I want to hear, you know, if I have to light this match, who knows what path it's going to take to get to this manuscript? You know, it might yeah. cross this lighter fluid soaked bed or it's yeah, it's it's terrifying. It is. I, and I love the escalation there. They they go from they start with soup, right? Like she maybe accidentally probably accidentally spilled soup on his bed and then he's she's holding this bottle of piss and shaking it around and james Conn is just eyeing it right he's like that's a bottle of piss you probably shouldn't be shaking that but he's i in my head canon he's remembering the soup spilling on the bed and just going mm-hmm. oh no i don't want to repeat yeah. of that uh and, and then it like- escalates to the lighter fluid like he said and it's yeah, that is. And even good. then, it's like, is it deliberate or is she just that careless? Because like, it's a plot point that she spoils the poisoning attempt just by being clumsy. Yeah, and like, so like, there. That's there's also a neat little escalation between like initially he's charmed and kind of grateful that she saved him, mm-hmm. and you know, full, completely unquestionably buys a story about the roads being out and the thing. And thank God you're a nurse and you got this RV and his fucking legs are a horror show. Like the way he gave her permission to read the manuscript, because he's like, for, he's he starts off as like, well, you know, I have this process, and uh, only my editor and my publisher and my agent can to read it, and also people who saved my life and fixed my legs up. Like he's really charmed yeah. by her. Um, and the very first scene where he feels unnerved is where she comes at him about the swearing mm-hmm. in his new novel. That's not a mis, you know, like mis misery is this. Anna Green Gables, very romantic and flower. You imagine the worst he might say is, you know, hell or, yeah. or damn. And maybe once or twice in a, in a very dramatic where anyone could could understand, you know, someone breaking into circumstances. But like the way she kind of gets a little unhinged in the anger, you know, when like, well, you know, everybody, that's just the way people talk. And no, they don't. <laughs> and then see what you made me do. Like instant, like the blame of like, her anger like it's not her fault 
it's it's really chilling stuff and like i yeah i wonder if kathy bates is just like a straight-up narcissistic bully because god damn she plays one so well in so many different things i've seen her oh for sure and i couldn't help but feeling like the uh that you know there's no nobility and cursing uh is also another shot at editors trying to take some of that out of his books maybe early on or yeah, something you know king king likes to work blue He's a little bald. Sure. He's he's got some bald move in him. He works blue in his <laughs> interviews, man. He yeah, he's not afraid to curse. Does he really? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the other thing about that, you know, that persona that she's got is this strange way of talking that she has, right? Where she's, you know, saying things like, "Oh, you're just another lying old dirty birdie, whatever." Uh, mm-hmm. Forgive me for prattling away, make you feel all oogie. It 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 does this thing where she, it initially makes her feel so much less threatening, right? She's this wholesome, Invent, infantilizes, uh, quirky, her, yeah. but you know, fun, uh, nice person. And then once you get once the turn happens, that takes on an entirely different tone. Now you're every time she says something like that, you're dealing with a psychotic person who is so detached from reality, and this language just serves to reinforce that uh, feeling. It's it's a really smart use of of a character trait to heighten the tension in the scenes. Yeah, and you can see like the like the different stage of the Stockholm syndrome where like, you know, she at first is constrained by her wanting him to have a high regard for her. And then there's the initial couple transgressions where she tries to blow past. And then there's the the I think the you're a lying dirty birdie. That's the that's the Rubicron. Yeah. Where the the movie can't come back from that. And then it's him like reversing, trying to like lull her into like they he goes like I, I think this like once he burns the manuscript, I first I thought he was just broken. But mm-hmm. what I realized is like, no, this is phase in the movie where he knows that now he has to play like this almost traditionally like a a feminine type role where he has to placate this insane aggressor. Like she's, he's, uh, he's, uh, uh, the, the woman being menaced by King Kong and he has to dance and enrapture her, uh, and enthrall her. That's his only defense because physically he's helpless before her. I Mm -hmm. thought that was a really cool. And the, the, the shifting in this almost odd couple relationship, where like he kind of teases and conjoles and, and like acts like he's all in on this project and only has reasonable but and and like he has to walk on eggshells like this um conversation with the paper he's like well I got you the best paper in the world oh but you know this paper this it's you know you didn't know any better but it smudges mm-hmm. and this turns into like she almost rebreaks his legs over it it's like fucking crazy but yeah. I think it worked so well that ratcheting of the tension and then in the third act like her being away from the cabin mm-hmm. and giving him that time to like sneak around and stuff like i was having cows during all of those sequences just i was sweating as much as james Kahn getting back to his <laughs> his like what like when he, he gets to a place where he throws himself to the ground and starts crawling around on the floor and i'm like oh jesus yeah. can you even make it back to your wheelchair when you hear the the, the <laughs> tires coming much less then to your room and lock it, buddy. You don't even have the key. It's uh oh, stress me the fuck out. Oh yeah, there, there's a lot of that in um a few Stephen King movies. Like I'm thinking of The Shining, right, where uh Jack Torrance is is menacing uh his wife, and like she has to placate him. You know, she has to like. But he hasn't gone full. Role. He hasn't got the axe out yet. There's right. like I can still like verbally diffuse the situation, kind of. Yeah. And then there's a lot of like similarities. I think like that isolation. You know, up in the Colorado mountains, they're they're both they both take place there. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit of similarities there. And there's so much great. Like again, the escalation goes on so many different levels and so many different ways of art. Like you already think by the time he breaks out of his room the first time that Kathy Bates has a screw loose, but there's tension in the fact that her cabin is like a minefield. There's all these like figurines and crap, and there's like very narrow nooks and crannies. And he's got this. He's you know not an expert wheelchair user, and he's got then one he arm, finds. Basically. Right. Then then he finds the shrine to him, which takes like the anxiety <laughs> to the next level. And then he finds a scrapbook. Oh, yeah. Where she's been essentially praying and killing people that are physically indisposed before him for like a long, long time. And this combined with number one fan status, like it's it's like every reveal takes the tension to a whole other level. And I really thought that was 
great. I also, um, I thought his plan, like all of his plans seemed very smart. And at first I'm like, mm-hmm. what is he doing? How is he possibly going to drug her? Like, this isn't their relationship. He does. She doesn't take food from him. And is he going to kill himself? Is this some kind of suicide pill? I thought like trying to wa- figure out what exactly he's going to do. Um, but then the whole time, like, oh, this makes sense. He knows he's going to use her knowledge of his rituals and the fact that she wants to be in this yeah. world so bad against her. And it's great. Yeah. And then, yeah, like I said, the first time watching this movie is great because like every fucking trick worked on me. Like when she knocked over that wine glass, I almost threw up. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> what now? What? We're all in on the wine plan, James Con. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, then now you're staring at another what six weeks of this. Like you gotta. Yeah, you can't rush it. No, no, you can't. Uh, yeah, but, it, it's but great. then it's, but then it's like he's been he's done the job. He's he's played the job of being nice so well, and he's physically recovering because in her mind this is still acceptable behavior. She's still nursing him back to health. All this crazy shit, mm-hmm. and that's where he's done everything right. You know, he didn't react to the wine glass and she just comes in with the sledgehammer and the fucking piece of wood. Oh, God. Yeah, and the penguin. And I, I you know, I, I knew I but I'd never actually seen it. Like every t- single time I've seen that scene in like a top 50 horror scene context or like, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I remember when this was big at the day, like a lot of the advertising used like the build up to that. And like, you know, with yeah. her with the sledgehammer and the, you just know your mind builds it up. I was wondering if they were actually going to show it and they did. And mm-hmm. it was fucking horrific. They didn't show it. The, they didn't show both. They just did the one and let your imagination take the other. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, his legs were, were already horrific, right? Like breaking them was just like the secondary it's really hard to watch i i almost can't watch that scene and i'm you know a pretty uh big gruesome horror buff because uh, they really ask you unlike a lot of things like hostile and saw yeah. they really ask you to intensely empathize with this guy and not detach from the right. experience so and he's the, the only character than, right like he's the only right. real character that i could ever see myself in a position of uh right so, yeah, I feel like I'm in the bed there uh, when that right. happens. Uh, let me ask you this. The, the memory lane stuff with these photos and the, the articles uh, mm-hmm. about her killings. So she's gone to prison. She's gotten out. Uh, she There's one article, I think, that says she's killing babies at some point. Is it yeah. possible that she's feeding any of these bodies to her pig? Like, I know... I know that's a thing oh, in Jesus. like other stuff, like the Hannibal, you know, series and stuff. But I, uh, I didn't and, and get a snatched. whiff of that. But maybe, yeah, yeah, or snatch. I should say not snatch. It's past tense. Snatch, present tense. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a whole other level. That's a well-fed pig. Yeah, I, I don't know why else the pig is in there. Did, did you have any insight into like the pig in general? I think it's just like an. Uh, my, my thought was it's an odd, offbeat animal. Um, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I thought there was something there. Her naming the main heroine like uh, uh, the pig after the main heroine in misery. I thought they were going something with like the fact that there's something kind of simple-minded and ridiculous about being this big of a fan of a romance novel, and I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I'm not I'm not holding that up for examination and like any kind of truth, because like, you know, if you're into romance novels, you're into romance novels. Sure. Don't think you're going to abduct the writers of such and, and put them through all kinds of medical torture. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that the from the frame of the movie itself, he doesn't think much of these people. He has very little real. Like, obviously, he's just shitting out these novels without any kind of regard. And she's treating this as it is like the best thing ever. And then when he writes the thing that he actually tries, she hates it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he's probably writing fan, like, like when he's just like slamming out chapters for her, he's just writing fan fiction. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know exactly what you want. And I'm going to slot. I, I felt like there was something that like, of course she would have a pet pig and name it misery because she's so fucking immune to irony. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I like your interpretation that she's actually feeding it like babies and shit. That's that's pretty horrific. I mean, it is horrific. I don't know if it's true or or implied in anything. But speaking I, of I irony, and sarcasm, I think of feeding bodies. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I, that's, that's a, a great call. Um, I love the sheriff and his wife and their relationship. Oh my God. This guy's great. Yeah. It's so cool. Like I like how Rob Reiner has this guy authentically struggle down a snow covered mountainside. <laughs> right. Well, this old man is just like sliding and slipping and like, oh God, I'm too old for this. Here goes my hip. And, and the, his, his old lady is got the hots for him. Always trying to flirt with him. And he's like trying to be official. And you know, this, this, he's got so many great lines like, uh, you know, do you need any help? No, I'm really enjoying myself down here. And, and, uh, he had got this other, uh, thing about, uh, you know, it's just that kind of sarcasm that gives our marriage some real spice. I just think I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I loved every bit of it. It's just enough, um, like comic relief, like his, yeah. he's got a little bit of like, um, a Tommy Lee Jones from old country for no men, uh-huh. uh, oh wait, no country for old men kind of thing going on where he's kind of past his prime. It's pretty shocking shit, but he's got the stuff, you know, he's putting together these little clues and just when you think he's going to be, I guess this is another Stephen King kind of trope because this is exactly what happens in Shining. You know, Danny gets a hold yeah. of, uh, I forget, the, the guy who calls him Doc and he's out in Florida and he comes back to rescue him and you think, ah, he's going to put one over on the old man and he gets axed instead. Yeah, like you I, think I, the, the, the old sheriff's going to show up, save the day and he gets a hole blown through him the size of a paint can lid. I, I remarked to Alexis, we were watching this together. Uh, and when he's driving down the road and when he gets shot, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the Scatman Crothers of this movie. Exactly. Exactly. The thing I really love about the old man is the way he just digs into these these novels, these misery novels. Like he's reading. I, I can just imagine for a week, six weeks, you know, whatever it is, he's sitting here in bed every night next to his wife reading these bodice ripper romance novels. Oh, yeah. And and. Just like examining them, like going through line by line and Oh yeah. And like the looks that she's giving him the whole time as he's like murmuring to himself, uh that, every, that one every, specific line. It's great. I love it. Every time a nipple stiffens, every time a turgid member engorges <laughs> or throbs, he was he was there. I did think that was pretty honestly, the resolution of this was pretty fucking corny. Um him reading some trial, like, and I guess the, the, the fucking library has a scrapbook on Kathy Bates too, because like, yeah. it wasn't like him scanning through microfish. There's this one contiguous like thing that he was looking at. And she quotes this, this, this random quote in a novel. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that's like, Oh my God, it's her. She's the one. Yeah. Um, I thought that was, uh, the, 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 the quote matching clue borderline Harry Potter shit. Uh, it is pretty silly. I was wondering the entire time when he's reading them, how is this possibly going to connect the dots for him? Like, there's nothing in the book that would tell him the location of this guy, but they they just just I, enough. It worked. For yeah, I, I thought that like the whole her horrifying, you know, kind of, you know, uh, angel of death routine would have been the clue. Like, oh, I wonder yeah. if and, and the fact that she, he knows that she was a big fan of his. And she, um, he I actually saw thought, her drive by on that mountain road, right? When he, they were investigating. Exactly. I thought that there, was there was clue. Yeah. I thought the quote was just like, you didn't need that. Like he, that's mm-hmm. like guilt, like really, you know, it's not even gilding. It's shitting the lily. Uh, <laughs> you had a nice little like uh, escalation of, of evidence there. And yeah. then I really liked their, their duel in her house where she knows that he's there and it's bad. And he knows that he's there and it's bad, but like neither of them, know what the other knows and like there's that scene where she goes to make him tea and then he peeks out to see if she's looking at him and then she peeks out and uh <laughs> i thought that was really it's menacing but it's also really funny it's kind of like that scene in like the one of the newer john wicks where him and like common are shooting each other in a subway with with like silenced weapons it's like this right. this game that only two people know about and it's not it, it's it, yeah it's it was good i i thought it was I'm glad it was in there because this movie would be a pretty dour experience without the old man. Oh, yeah. You got to get him out there. And when he goes out there and he's like exploring her bedroom and stuff, I'm I'm thinking like, okay, how much incriminating stuff would be out? But she's got this cover story, right? Like, oh, I love this these novels. I'm his number one fan. I've It's inspired me to try and write something. So I set up a makeshift writing studio in this other and bedroom. And what is the line between the biggest fan and fucking crazy behavior, you know? 
Sure. Yeah. All big question marks. And the fact that she's a nurse, like she would right. have maybe some nursing supplies around, sure. right? So it's not weird that she would have chemicals or bandages in semi-large quantities. I I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. In 2020, it's, yeah, we know. We know this shit doesn't happen. But yeah, in 1990, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She's a stockpiling. Why not? I can see it. Why not? You know, it's suspicious, but it's not anything that tips her hand. And I think that's the line. That's the tension there. You know, you got to walk right on that line. If you go too far to either side, it doesn't work. And they nail it. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to talk about the hobbling scene because, as you mentioned in the book, she amputates his foot. Mm-hmm. And this she just breaks his his legs, man. Like I, I don't see how you ever heal from the compound fractures with the like backwoods medicine woman, Doctor Quinn shit she was pulling. Yeah. Those legs look bad, dude. Real those bad. feet were those are those th- those weren't James Conn's actual feet. Those were prosthetic no, they're, feet. They're gelatin molds that they put around oh my. his feet, and he could kind of slip in at the knees. Okay, because I thought that he was actually going to get gangrene or something. Like, I, yeah. there's an open question in my mind of like how much medical skill does she actually have? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but apparently she can nurse him back to health. She breaks his ankles. Uh, Goldman, who wrote the script, said that he thought it was a good decision to switch it to hobbling from amputation because the visual depiction of amputation would cause the audience to hate Annie instead of sympathizing with her madness. I don't know what film he watched. I hated Annie. Oh, me too. I hated Annie before this scene. She's yeah. the worst. Like, I I mean, I'm capable of sympathizing with what the fuck happened to her uh, that she came out wired like this. But they don't try to go way. there at all, right? They, they don't, don't ever they, give a backstory that is anything uh, but her. Just horrific. a little. She refers to, like, how hard it's been for her to make friends because of her temper and like how hard it was to fit in and things like that but like yeah like i think you get a pretty good picture by the time everything's but like yeah was her mom this way did she get dropped on her head she just got like is this running her family i but like yeah i don't think that this was better than a full-on amputation like Uh, honestly the 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 sledgehammer wood block breaking ankles might be worse than just a clean slice with an axe as far as like in your head kind of pain scale thing it's not permanent i guess yeah yeah i don't i don't know this Uh, guy walking without a cane at any point in his life i'm not buying like i think this is pretty bad shit to go through at his age for sure yeah no they they were equally horrific in my mind i I, there was fundamentally no difference between taking his foot off versus breaking both of his ankles like this uh wait the foot off like i made me think of nick cage you know, <laughs> okay. yeah, that's the way the he does sequel. the light reading a foot off. Oh. <laughs> um, that's the sequel directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the quote, James Caan, you sick, twisted fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, eat it. Yeah, eat it. Eat it till you choke. God, did you, speaking of his leg, did you see the fucking sweep the leg Johnny kick that he does at the end of that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, their fight. Like, I think this is another thing that must have been shocking in 1990s. Like a full on James Conn versus Kathy Bates fight with like thumbs yeah. stabbed in eyes mm-hmm. and knifings. And like it's it was it's like the blood pouring down her face was wild and it Kathy was really Bates wild is like the perfect choice for this because because of her size right she's a large woman uh and i feel like that size gives her a real yeah when she's posing fi- presence what yeah because it's not just that she, that james Conn is hobbled she fireman carries him up this steep slope that the old man is going to lay, later struggle with uh-huh like this and, is and a substantial woman yeah absolutely absolutely yeah this is this is a woman of of some stature so you know if you're if you got hobbledy legs it's it's uh it's it's pretty dicey yeah um i also thought it was like really a nice touch that uh they'd name check liberace in the movie and then the way they ended the credits with i'll be seeing you and all the old familiar places um that's such a stalker song when you play it right after the 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 movie misery huh right yeah. after he kind of zones out because like i thought the way this ended with him kind of in recovery and he's rewritten the great american novel and he's getting accolades and 
um, you know, his agent, of course, tries to push yeah. him like, hey, you got to tell this is an amazing story. You need to tell it. And he's like, and then this this waitress comes up and says, I'm your number one fan. And he's got that kind of like glass eyed deer in a headlights look. And it fades to uh, I'll be seeing you. I yeah, I was just taking my notes as the song was playing. I'm like, damn, this is the perfect song to end this movie on. Hmm. Um, it's a great, it's a great like yeah, sitting there in stunned silence while you're watching the credits play type of type of song. Um, and it was it was nice, it was nice. One other thing I want to talk about, I don't know if you got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but just can we talk more. about Roger Ebert's surprisingly savage three star review of this movie? Oh, what did he say? I didn't read it. It's one of those things that's three out of four star. You think, hey, it's a pretty good movie. That's a good movie. But mm-hmm. he does so many drive-bys and kind of snide uh, side swipes at this movie. And then the it culminates into this final paragraph. It's a good story, a natural, and it grabs us. But just as there is almost no way to screw it up, uh, there's hardly any way to bring it above a certain level of inspiration. Many competent directors could have done what Reiner does here, and perhaps many other actors could have done what Khan does. Mm-hmm. Although the Kathy Bates performance is trickier and more special. <laughs> the result is good craftsmanship and a movie that works. It does not illuminate, challenge, or inspire, but it works. <laughs> Damn. I mean, he's, Damn, he's Roger. not wrong. He's not wrong. Did this movie beat him up and take his lunch money? Like this is some damned faint praise of a three star movie. I think I don't. I mean, I don't know. To me, this is like it feels weird because I think this movie perfectly did everything it set out to. Yes. I don't think there was a false note in it. And even the kind of weird retro workman like filming, I think, worked. I think it was I actually think it's a deliberate choice to kind of harken back to. Uh, you know, like a little 1970s feel when the world is a little bit smaller and less connected, even than in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, but damn, yeah, like the fact that it's like, well, you know, it uh, it's as good as you can make out of a Stephen King book. Oh, I, I think he might have a <laughs> an axe to grind against Stephen King. Here's how I describe Stephen King: opening sentence of the review. I love you, Roger Ebert, wherever you are, but still, damn. Stephen King has a modest but undeniable genius for being able to find horror in everyday situations. Wow, modest but undeniable. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, I know I, I think they're right. He'd be the type of guy that describes what he does as like you know, I like I have f- a modest but undeniable <laughs> genius in reviewing movies because it's like you know, you're not. It's not. It's not. You're not splitting the atom. You're not stitching people's spinal cords back together. You're not painting Sistine chapels. You're just sure writing some of the finest horror in the 20 and 21st century. Like, yeah, what? literally the last four decades are dominated by the horror of Stephen King. It's, it's not even a contest. Who is the biggest horror writer? Uh, just, yeah. just saying Stephen King has a modest talent for writing horror is completely you're, ludicrous. You're essentially in my opinion. Edgar Allan Poe, except you got out of the ditch in the uh-huh. throes of alcoholism and kept living and thrive, you know, like, yeah. You, you didn't end it all before you got. It's like it's 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 I don't know. I felt like I could hear the axe grinding the the, st- the sharpening stone grinding in the background. I don't know. I, I, I don't agree know. more with his last paragraph than I do that first sentence, because the last paragraph says essentially this won't change your life. Right. This isn't going to make you see the world differently. <laughs> it's, it's just it works. He's correct. But like you said, every note they go for, they hit perfectly. I don't I don't think there's anything to dislike about this movie. And I don't think I, I don't think. It's actually pretty hard to do what Kathy Bates does here, oh, where yeah. she goes for it, but never in an over the top way. Mm-hmm. Um, like it always feels great. Like this feels like uh, a person with real issues that is not, you know, because crazy people are often played as like random and chaotic. But she's got like an internal system of rules that she kind of abides by at every, you know, like uh, it's 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 hard to make a person like that feel like the the way that like Khan's able to trick and manipulate her. Like it, he had to really invest time and effort into pulling that off. It wasn't like she's not easy to fool, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for Khan to play this role too without, you know, seeming like a, a helpless victim, like, you know, still is, is not a broken person. It keeps fighting till the end. Yeah. It, it's like I said, I, I was, I, I uh, <laughs> like I said, I don't want to sound like Michael Jordan, but when I saw that he gave a three star review and said this in a uh, concluding paragraph, I took a personal. <laughs> uh, the other S- final thing I guess I want to talk about is uh, I-, I mentioned I was watching this with my wife and she's a very, very big Stephen King fan. She's got sure. 
almost all of his books he's written. She's, she's at a she has a shrine, would you say, in your living room? Yeah, she's his number one fan. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I asked her like uh, there were a couple things in this I was looking at and saying, oh, that uh, poster on the wall for the wanted for for theft or whatever in the the sheriff's office is that a reference to Stephen King? She's like, not that I know of. Uh, and I kept asking mm. her questions like that, and it was always no. And I was thinking, there's there aren't a lot of Stephen King like Easter eggs in this. And then I remembered, this is 1990, and I don't know the mm. television was doing much of the Easter egg stuff back then. I don't even know the movies were. I, I think You're like right. Twin Peaks might have been kind of one of the early adopters of Easter eggs and like self referential things. I don't even know if it's things. Easter. Yeah, I don't even know if it's like quite the same level of Easter eggs that like, you know, like that you're you're yeah. right. Like that's an internet thing where people like uh-huh. it'd be one thing like maybe one, you'd have one little uh tell in a movie. But now it's like you watch a Marvel a Marvel a modern Marvel film and there's like 15 in a trailer. Yeah. That like places will be happy to point out to you, and they're expecting you to freeze frame and get it. And or find you look at Castle Rock, and, right? The TV sure. show. There's a billion Stephen King references. Every in Castle single Rock. Ep- every single frame is packed. Uh, Annie like herself is in an episode of Castle Rock later on. So da- yep, yeah. yep. So, uh, but yeah, I did thirty years later, this uh, movie's aged like uh, a, a vintage Don Perignon, I guess. Don Perignon, yep. There, Don Perignon. I honestly have no idea how to pronounce that, if that's correct or not. Um, sure, it's a Don French Perignon. Perignon. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that'll be it for our coverage of Misery, but uh, we are going to have one last anniversary movie coming out this year, and it'll probably close out our, our season of um, uh, Bald Move Prestige. Tom Hanks's Castaway is what we're going to be considering. It's its 20, uh, 20 year anniversary coming up real soon. Uh, it's one of those, um, I don't think it's a, actually a Christmas movie. It could be a Christmas movie because he's, he's traveling during the holidays. That starts it all out. Hmm. I'll be looking to see if there's a Christmas song. If there's a Christmas song, then yeah, it's absolutely a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. But we'll be closing out our season of that. Also, uh, you know, for club members, we're doing our Christmas celebration. So if you want to hear us discussing um, movies in a fun, uh, carousing, carouseling, car- wait, uh caroling caroling kind of way mm-hmm. uh we've got uh the holiday little rom-com action we got uh lethal weapon yes it's a it's a it's a christmas movie that's right you know if, if your tastes lie more towards the action and we got we got a super special super christmas movie coming out the week of christmas uh those are exclusively for club or pa- uh, patreon patrons uh if you want to get in on that it's real easy you can go to support.ballmove.com get signed up today uh, otherwise, we'll see you on Castaway. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.